Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. On today's episode, Scott and I continue in our series, A Time to Politic, within which we have been examining the politics of the New Testament from Jesus of Nazareth to John of Patmos. And in today's episode, we enter into uh, the first letter to Peter, first Peter. Scott, welcome back. Thank you, Cody. Welcome to you? you for uh, hosting me. Of course. You doing well? Yeah. 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 Doing well. Uh, just had a really good weekend of teaching uh, up in Michigan to American Baptist pastors and leaders in the state of Michigan on revelation for the rest of us. So we're talking from Jesus to John. I, I'm doing John, and now we got to back up to Peter. That's right. So, well, it's great. Well, as we jump in, let's get in right away here. As we jump into the first letter uh, of Peter, what are some just like basic, uh, big idea, big picture of this letter that maybe we might want to think about or know as we sort of enter into this conversation, as we think about the politics of the New Testament here alongside Peter? What are some things that we should know about the letter in general? Okay. Uh, the, the first thing I would say is uh, what Peter advocates in this letter is a bit like what uh, Paul advocates in the pastorals with the Greek word eusebeia, uh, mm. social respectability. There's something about that. Not quite as refined, but there's something that uh, I would say these letters are breathing a similar theory of how Christians should live in the Roman Empire. That's one thing. But if, if I had to um, reduce it to a couple big ideas— um, for and Peter, Peter, and Paul, and John eventually are trying to figure out how to be a follower of Jesus in the diaspora hmm. when Rome is the empire and idolatry is the way of life for them as Jews, as believers in Jesus. So they're they they're experiencing how do we live now? The Jews had already established a way of life and that was to accommodate to adapt to adopt but never to give in on one god no idols um follow the law that's the way they learned to live so there was a, a negotiation and a resistance all the time what chris hockletubby calls um a social respectability mixed with some sly civility uh, so I, and I really like that. So so Peter has a bit of this, but I think there's a couple texts. For instance, First Peter chapter one verse one um, in the inspired translation called the Second Testament. <laughs> I have to the elect temporary residents of the diaspora. All right, in chapter two verse eleven. Peter adds to that, loved ones, I encourage you as exiles and temporary residents. Now, these are terms that have traditionally in the church been uh, metaphorized mm. into uh, a spiritual condition of being a pilgrim in this world. Right. I doubt it. Uh, a guy <laughs> named um, Elliot a long time ago wrote a monograph, a major book called Home for the Homeless, J.H. Eliot. 
Then he wrote the massive anchor Bible commentary on First Peter. And Eliot made the case that these are social descriptions of the social location hmm. of the believers that Peter is writing to. They are actually, in a sense, migrant workers, hmm. temporary residents working in the diaspora in a given location. And then also exiles. These th That's a term of paroikai kai parapedemoi are the two Greek terms. Yes. Uh, 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 poroikos, por, paroikos is is someone who is not living at home any longer. Yeah, They're like a resident abroad. alien. Yeah, uh, yeah, resident alien. Exiles. Now, exiles is a little bit stronger translation because it shows it suggests that they've been pushed out, hmm. exiled to some place. I do not believe that these are spiritual categories. I believe they are social markers. So now you have a bit about the audience. And I had a, a brilliant English student who pastored for many, many years in Cambridge, England. Um, I said, uh, I said, your, your responsibility uh, in this class is to investigate this argument to see if you think Eliot is, is telling, making it accurate. Because he wanted to really get down on a, a serious subject. This was as a when I, when I was teaching Trinity. Hmm. And he went through all kinds of evidence, found all kinds of scholarship on these terms. He said, unquestionably, this is a social marker. Hmm. Uh, and he, he totally agreed with that. So that's, that's one text. This social location makes a difference. Hmm. These are not wealthy people. These are not people uh, that uh, Stephen Friesen and Bruce Longenecker would call uh, class one, class two, class three people of the 5% or the 3% in the Roman Empire. These are the people who are probably sometimes called E6 and E7. They would be living at the mm -hmm. subservient level. Mm -hmm. All right. The second text is second is First Peter 2, verse 11 and 12. Loved ones, I encourage you now, as exiles and temporary residents, that's their location, to stay away from fleshy desires that soldier against the self. I like that translation. Having your conduct beautiful among the ethnic groups so, so that in that which they slander you as bad doers, on the basis of your beautiful works, watching you, they may splendor God on the day of mentorship or the day when God visits. Uh, that's what a mentor, an elder is, an overseer. All right, so now uh, Peter has a strategy. The strategy is to have a conduct that is beautiful, in other words, aesthetically pleasing and socially acceptable. Live in such a way that people see your good deeds and they think, these are pretty good people. Now, this term that, and, and we'll look at this term, um, it's connected also to another term that is used of Jesus in the book of Acts, chapter 10, that we call euergetism, and that is mm -hmm. doing good works in the public sector for the common good. So that seems to be a strategy. And then, as you've noticed, um, that... Uh, Peter calls people to submit, and uh, submitting in this letter means, I, I and I believe that 
we need to get away from the word submit as an English translation. I mean, you're going to see it in all the translations, but I tried to get away from it uh, because it has all kinds of masculinist connotations in our culture, power mongering. Uh, I think it has to do with living, let's say, inside the order of the day, mm-hmm. um, sort of in the toxis. It's connected to toxis, which is order. So within that, then verse 17 of chapter 2, you have a a statement of how the believers are to live. Honor everyone, love the siblingship, awe God, honor the emperor. Now, uh, Peter has other words in verses 13 through 16 as well. But if, if you take an early date, that emperor is Nero, who was let's just use the language that we ought to use. He was a first class, first class idiot. Um, at the end of his the last five years of his life, he was just, it's just sickening. It's disgusting yeah. the way Nero behaved. And yet, um, Peter tells him to honor the emperor. And uh, Cody, I've preached one time during election season about politics i was preaching in kansas city and i preached on this passage because they wanted they invited me to I went, okay you know and i'm going to tell you what i think and you know we'll see what happened and i said and it was um clinton was it was his but just before his second election um and i said no matter who is the president we have to honor and respect the president And a man came up to me afterwards and just berated me. And he wrote me an extensive letter of how wrong I was. We should never respect Bill Clinton. I went, you know, Nero is worse than Clinton, I can guarantee (laughs) And uh, And this is what what Peter says. So these are are really difficult passages. So I've, I've talked enough. So over to you for a second. No, that's perfect. And I know, um, so you've mentioned the beginning of the letter uh, here to the elect, those those who are temporary residents, uh, the exiles and temporary residents, again, 2.11. And then Peter himself is writing, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, uh, the elect, uh, the co-elect uh, in Babylon greets you. Mark, my son, greets you. Yeah, Babylon. And, and so Peter himself writing from Babylon. Yeah. Not not exactly the, the greatest location in many ways, as you mentioned, uh, on account of Nero and other things. But let's wrap right around uh, to what you said there a minute ago. Let's go back to chapter 2, verse 12 for a moment. Um, having your conduct be beautiful among the ethnic groups, so that in that which they slander you as bad doers, on the basis of your beautiful works watching you, they may splendor God on the day of mentorship. Uh, this word here uh, typically gets translated as let, let your way of life be good among the nations. Um, and as you mentioned, there is an, an aesthetic quality to the word kalos that's being used here. Can you talk to us about this? The importance of not just a sort of moral goodness here for Peter, but something maybe like uh, let your way of life be compelling among the yeah. other ethnic groups. Can you talk to us about that a little bit more? Yeah, the... Uh... The standard word used for good in the New Testament when connected to good works, the most common word is agathos, mm-hmm. uh, good. But yeah. every now and then the word kalos shows up. 
And kalos is a word used more frequently in the Greek world for what is aesthetically excellent and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I think I think uh, Peter believes that the believers should see themselves as responsible for a way of life that is pleasing to other people so far as is possible, not by way of accommodating to idolatry, mm-hmm. uh, but by way of being good people. Um, and so I, I'm not sure uh, what kind of discussion develops out of that, but I think he really believes that one of the greatest strategies for believers especially those who are temporary residents and exiles, to, con- to live in the empire is to live um, a morally, socially, economically, business-wise, you know, wherever they are working, in a way that is, um, let's say, that others who watch it say, no, that's the way to do things well. Yeah. It's that sort of thing. No, that's exactly why I wanted to come back to this first, because I think it's a more than just good advice. As you've mentioned, mm-hmm. this is a type of strategy for the way that they're to live within the empire. Do you? What do you think about uh, for us in terms of modern language here? You use beautiful, which is great. Do you think compelling or attractive, uh, something that, that garners, of course, as we've mentioned, respectability and interest? Are these helpful terms that swim around the sort of generality when we're thinking about translating into English? Yeah, I, I like that. I, I mean, you know, in my translation theory, I was trying to use one Greek word, one English word, and I used the word beautiful. But the idea of beauty is that it is, in a sense, in the, in the eye of the beholder, mm-hmm. in a general judgment, everybody thinks this is beautiful. That's, that's the work of art that was so typical of the Roman Empire and the Greek world. So they would have, uh, Peter would have known this, uh, and, the, and the resident aliens would have known these sorts of images that everybody marveled at. So I would agree with you that compelling, attractive, uh, pleasing, mm-hmm. those are all good uh, connections to the kind of life conduct that uh, these believers are are called to live. Yeah, I just want to keep going on this just for a second. So there, the aim here, the strategy, is to have your way of life be uh, compelling, beautiful among the surrounding nations. But the surrounding nations certainly wouldn't have always found their way of life to be compelling or beautiful. And is that why, I was wondering this as I was preparing for our conversation, is this one of the reasons why Peter seems to attach this to, to eschatology, to the return and revealing, like, let it let it be compelling. And even if they don't see it as compelling now, it will be made apparent on the great day of visitation. Is it is it that you're doing good, but you're being shamed for it, but one day it will be revealed for what it is? Is that part of what Peter's getting at here? Clearly, uh, Peter and Paul the same way. Jesus the same way. They do not believe that if you live a good life, everybody's going to say, okay, I want to be a follower of Jesus. They do not believe that. Correct. But they did believe that there is power in an example of a true follower of Jesus in it impacting 
how they lived their life in every dimension, when they worked, when they went to the marketplace, when they related to the business world. The, um, you know, all these are opportunities for a believer to show a way of life that can be aesthetically pleasing to the observers. Now, not everybody will like it. And there could be days when there will be rejection. So, so Paul in the pastoral, First Timothy, can say with Eusebea, you know, I want you to live this way, socially respectable. But everyone who lives a godly life in Christos Jesus, he said, will suffer persecution. And that godly life is is the same word, and so there is there is a sense in which um, you live a good life in a way um, as as Hoklatubi says uh, it is a sly civility at times. People think this is a you're a really good person, but we really find out that you're a follower of Jesus, and it kind of surprised them. But at the same time, they went it's pretty compelling anyway. I I want to consider it or these people are weird. We got to get rid of them. That's the sort of impact that this that uh, the believers would have experienced in northern, north, west, modern day Turkey, uh, Bithynia, etc. Now, what is what is interesting is six times in this letter, yeah, Peter uses a word connected to good works, uh, agatha, poia. Mm-hmm. The Greek noun, agatha poios, the adjective, agatha poeo, the verb. Right. So I want to I want to look at these, please, because they are. By the way, chapter two, verses eleven to twelve that I just read. Those that is the principles on which Peter founds how to live in the empire, mm-hmm. and he develops those all the way through chapter three, verse seven. Some people think it goes into chapter four, but Peter didn't mark up his, he didn't give us his outline. So we have to do the best we can. All right. But he already talked about having a beautiful, your conduct beautiful, so that even if they slander you as bad doers on the basis of your beautiful works. Okay. Now that's going to be good works. Okay. Mm. But chapter two, verse 14 says, if okay, verse thirteen, be ordered under every human shaped creation because of the Lord, if to the emperor, as one under having high status, if to governors, as one sent by him for making it right, for bad doers, uh, making it oh, making things right, rectifying for bad doers, but public praise for good doers. Uh, and that would be making justice, God, mm-hmm. bringing justice to bad doers. But he uses good doers. And then verse 15, because so is God's will in doing good to silence the ignorance of imprudent humans. Now, this doing good, agatha poio, now this also occurs in verse 20. We'll look there. For what credit is it if you are resilient, sinning, and are beaten, but if doing good and suffering, you are resilient. This is grace with God. Chapter 3, verse 6, about Sarah. Uh, he did Abraham, calling him Lord, of whom you have become children, doing good and not being in awe of any dread. All right, and then chapter uh, 3, verse 17, we have the fifth use, for it is better 
to suffer for doing good, if this be God's will, than for doing bad. Good doers, bad doers. The final reference is the now uh, is the noun in chapter four, verse nineteen. So let the ones suffering consistent with God's will present themselves with good deeds to the allegiant Creator. All right. Now, here's here's something I learned a long time ago by a scholar who was working at Tyndale House at the time, who was a scholar of the Roman world named Bruce Winter. Mm. This is the first time I encountered this, and since then I've, I've seen this word used this way many times in Greek text. The Greek word agathopoeo describes deeds done by someone in the public sector for the common good. Hmm. Now this is really interesting uh, because those sorts of things involved stuff like building bridges, uh, providing food for other people during a famine, pirating ships on their way to Rome into your harbor and taking the grain out from Egypt and using it for your village in Corinth or your city rather than someone else. So piracy is called uh, good deeds. Um, so I, you just start listing it, and it is you know building monuments, building buildings, Erastus, who probably is the Erastus of First Corinthians, in Corinth uh, builds a building in the you know the main street of Corinth, um, building let's say in a new village the Bema seat for the judgment, building a building for public affairs, um, taking care of the poor, financing uh, the Olympic Games or financing a local contest, financing a local speaker. This was seen as agatha poio, poio. Hmm. And Peter is encouraging these resident aliens and exiles to do things in the public sector for the common good. Hmm. And I really believe, you know, I've, over the years, I take some hits for doing this, but I talked about the skinny jeans generation and seeing uh, social justice as something done exclusively in the public sector for a public sector rather than through the church, in the, in the church, and through the church into the public world, uh, uh, the public uh, sector. I'm, I've, I've always been for social justice, but at the same time, I think it needs to be redefined and anchored in the way the church lives as a witness to these things. So mm -hmm. taking care of the poor in the church is the first step toward yeah. agatha poeo for a believer. And then it will flow into the public sector as people become agents of goodness in our world. So I think that this is one of the most significant terms, and I think this is the term that makes me think that Peter and Paul, not that they interacted with this at all, that Paul uses eusebeia in a very mm -hmm. similar way. Um, to what Peter uses with Agatha Poya. So um, Peter is really, this is fascinating to me, he's really concerned that believers have a public reputation and a public face, that they are known as, let's just say, good people by the populace that knows about them, you know, the good people uh, of, of the culture and society. 
All right, over to you. Canadian. That's really helpful. Like so, uh, yeah, Agatha Poyeo. So, uh, uh, have your way of life be compelling, beautiful, attractive to those around you. One of the key ways that that strategy plays out is through Agatha Poyeo. Uh, yeah. or Agatha Poya, uh, uh, to, to do these things, to build bridges, to do monuments, to have buildings and grain and the uh, care for the poor. So in the public sector, uh, that, that you would be seen for these good works. And another piece to this that, that occurs, again, also six times, is, uh, is this word that you mentioned that occurs in, in 213 for being ordered under, that this word occurs six times in 213, 18, 3, 1, 3, 5, 22, and 5, 5, to be ordered under every human-shaped creation because of the Lord. If the emperor, if those of high status, if governors. So there's there's a part of not just these, these public acts of goodness, but also the way that they order themselves, again, under these authorities and structures. Can you talk a little bit about that as part of this strategy uh, to be properly ordered within the social sphere as being part of their respectable social witness? Yeah, this is, this is a good question. It's a good observation too, Cody. Um, the, the first thing I would say is, uh, notice how he frames this, every human-shaped creation. This is, um, this is a, almost a way of saying the social structures that we have in place are right. uh, shaped by humans. Um, but he learned this in Jude, from Jews in the diaspora, um, and that is accommodate yourself to the structures of your society hmm. in such a way that you don't become anarchists and resistors and dissidents of everything. It's like you're a... Uh... Okay, so let me give a, a strong example. Please. The Amish do not do this. Okay, the Hutterites, I think they're in Canada. So, I'll, they are. I'll, I'll, yeah. So, they withdraw from society. The Essenes at Qumran withdrew from society. Of course. Um, the standard approach of Jews, say, whether they are in Alexandria, whether they are in Ephesus, whether they are in uh, Antioch, uh, Syrian Antioch, whether they are in Rome, they learned uh, to live in those cultures uh, in a way that they blended in such that people would would think, you know, they're they're fine. They're they're not they're not on their own. They're not doing their own thing. Um, the the way a fundamentalist, right wing fundamentalist in American culture, is in a sense. To resist everything going on in culture and to see culture as bad and uh, to become just sort of they're almost like anarchists who are going to listen to their own leaders and that's it. Nobody else is worth paying attention to. That's not what Peter believed should happen. He believed that that believers should accommodate themselves, let's say, to the system, let's say the systemic structures of our society. However. Peter was also a person who didn't believe that it should be total accommodation. Of course. Or adaptation and adoption in a way that broke down faith in Christ and resilience and the way Jesus calls us to live. So he he called people, in a sense, to live within the structures 
so far as it's consistent with the Christian way of life. And he did this with the Roman government, which is accommodating. This sounds like Paul in Romans 13. Yes. He, he told slaves, I just lost my, my page. He told slaves, and this is a passage that we would adapt and adjust in more radical ways than Peter did. Um, he told them uh, that, you know, you sort of have two options. Either you work well with your master, and there's a lot of slaves in the Roman Empire, maybe 33% of people living in the empire were slaves, um, the enslaved. Um, and he told them uh, to live in such a way that you keep keep your life. If you're going to resist, you're going to be killed. So, so live in such a way that you take courage from Jesus who suffered. And when he suffered, he responded in a different way as a witness to a different way of life. I believe that um, in a world like we live in, we can become agents of resistance. And I think in our world, Peter would definitely say that sort of thing. But in that world, there was no other option. Right. And I, you know, we find ourselves at times in situations where, okay, this is the way they do things in this situation. I'm going to have to accommodate myself to it. I'd rather not do it that way. Um, because if I don't, you know, I could uh, get myself in big trouble. Women are called to submit to their husbands, order themselves under their men. I, I have the women and men. I don't translate. It's the same Greek word. It's a Greek word for woman, but in a context, it could has the sense of a, a woman attached to a man, which is called a wife, and a man attached to a woman is called a husband. But there are no separate Greek words for that. Right. So he, he calls the women to live in such a way that they become witnesses to their husbands uh, the way Sarah was in such a way that uh, they may compel their husbands to be transformed. And then he talks to the men, the husbands are just the men, um, that they are to live with their wives in a way that is respectable. And that would have countered and treating them like the weaker vessel, which is very condescending, but very first century. Um, he, he knew that these men were, were not going to be able to take advantage of their wives, abuse their wives, mistreat their wives, look down upon their wives. That's not the way Christians are going to act. And in this passage, uh, Paul, he sounds like Paul again in the household regulations, mm -hmm. that they're, they're, uh, they offer counter teachings for the way people normally live within these structures. And then it looks like 3.8 could be continuing when he says, I say, I give the paragraph, the everyone. But uh, through 3.7, I think we have uh, pristine examples of those general principles articulated in chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, mm -hmm. that you're supposed to avoid fleshy desires, and they're supposed to have good conduct in such a way that it is noticeable by those who observe it and grabs the attention of other people to make them think that the way of Christianity is special, unique, and compelling. Yeah. Or as you so, say, attractive as well. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I, so I, I, I see here then uh, we have these pu- these acts in the public sector uh, that promote um, the building up, uh, the goodness for the sake of others, whether they be statues, bridges, food for the poor, all of these things. And then there is uh, an ordering within this the human created systems that exist, whether they be empire wide systems or whether they be families that we order ourselves in a particular kind of way. Let's come back to uh, 2.15 as we begin to end our time, because so is God's will. In doing good, you will silence the ignorance of the imprudent humans as liberated ones, not having liberty as a cover-up for badness, but then here, interestingly, as God's slaves, I want to come back to that language, those who are enslaved to God first, and then a string of imperatives that come here, right? Honor everyone, love the siblingship, awe God or honor God, and honor the emperor. And so here then, uh, there's kind of a bit of a, a summative piece that in, in doing these things, whether it be these public acts or whether that be the ordering within the systems, that over time, in some sense, Peter is saying that we will shame those who do the evil by doing the good as we live as, as slaves of God in this particular kind of way in the empire. What about these verses jumps out to you um, in particular, Scott, as we begin to end our time. Yeah, the, this uh, sounds like Jesus in mm-hmm. Matthew chapter 5. When they ask you to go one mile, you go two. When they ask for your coat, uh, you, you you know, when they ask for a jacket, you give them your, te- your whole cloak. Okay, Th- this is the language of shaming someone by exposing... Yeah. They're unjust demands on your life. You know, if if I say, give me your dollar, and you say, you know, give me a dollar, and you say, let me give you 20. The person is going to look at you and go, wow, what do I do with that? That's the kind of attention-grabbing force of yeah. someone who shames someone uh, by doing something beyond what would ever be expected in a good way. Uh, You know, your neighbor, let's just say, okay, do you guys mow mow grass up there in the summer or or is it still snow there in the summer on the frozen tundras of Canada? I'm here to tell you that it's supposed to snow at the end of this week for the first time. So we're all sad here. It's nice today, but the snow is on the horizon. But yes, we do mow grass here. Okay, now let's just say that you and your neighbor have a deal that when you're gone, you mow one another's yard because you don't want the grass to get 12 inches high. You know, then it, it turns to seeds and you got problems okay you get little animals starting to fester around in your yard okay let's just say that your neighbor completely thinks on you and you're gone for three weeks and you come back you mow your grass and then you mow his now you're not doing it uh to shame him but it does shame him he says oh man look what look what they did for me and I did nothing for them. That's exactly. It's not right. done to shame. Correct. It's done out of an ex, let's say an extravagance of generosity that all of a sudden shames someone into becoming aware of their lack of generosity that mm-hmm. leads them to change their behaviors. That's what I think 
Peter is getting at. That's really helpful. The uh, one of the things that I find really striking about this letter is the way in which Peter keeps coming back to Jesus, unsurprisingly, but coming back to Jesus and Jesus's sufferings and Jesus is doing good as the primary model yeah. or example. Uh, as he points to texts from the Hebrew Bible, as he keeps drawing on uh, sort of stories from the Gospels and the way that Jesus lived, that this sort of principle of uh, laying down and suffering for the sake of the goodness of the world, how does that land for you here in terms of this whole strategy that Peter's employing as he roots it in Jesus? <laughs> well, again, uh, it sounds like Jesus yeah. uh, in very important ways. Uh, his, he's got a strong Christocentric emphasis. Yeah. Clearly, Jesus is the focus. And yet, at the same time, Jesus' way of life, which Jesus taught was to deny yourself and to take up the cross, becomes a paradigm for those who experiencing who experience unjust suffering and can't go to court. If you are a resident alien and an exile, you can't go to court and demand something. Even if you're a citizen, a, a local, you could be totally overwhelmed by someone with higher status in a Roman court system. It wasn't, it wasn't mm -hmm. our, we can complain about our court system, but it's a whole lot better than their court system. It right. favored those with high status and higher status. People got justice in a sense over people of slightly lower status, just because of their status, which is an injustice. So it's not based on law as much. And people in that situation had to try to make sense of their life, and they took courage from the suffering of Christ. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's been the case with with believers throughout the history of the church. Yeah, and like Jesus, uh, that great line: uh, they uh, they entrust themselves, and we are called to entrust ourselves yeah. to the one who judges justly. Well, Scott, yeah. thanks so much again, everybody. It's uh, Kingdom Roots podcast uh, conversations designed to look at the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. We've been talking about the first letter of Peter. Join us next time as we look at the letter of James. James.